Please join me in prayer. Our our Father, um, we marvel at this reality of Christmas. Your Son, um, born the Redeemer of your people. Um, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who always um, has been the Son of God and yet became a child born into our race and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. And so he has brought us near by his blood. He is our peace. We were once at enmity with you, but now at peace. How we praise you that he has gained us access to you, Holy Father, by the Spirit, so that we may call you Abba, Father, so that we may draw near to you in weakness, And in our sins, find merciful welcome and strength and courage to walk in newness of life. We are amazed to be close to you, at home with you, with our brothers and sisters here in the grace of Jesus. We find comfort that our sins have been pardoned that you have shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we want all here to not just know that you exist, but to love you. And we pray that all here would not just be hearers of your word, but by grace would walk in godliness. And we pray also for our little ones, thankful that they have been born into your household. But we pray that they would grow up to call you uh, God and Father, trusting and loving Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And this Christmas time, uh, may the light of Jesus shine in our homes, sweeten our speech, and give us humble boldness to live for you. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. One of the great hymns carols that we love to sing this time of year has the phrase key of David in it. I'm going to read a section from Isaiah chapter 22 that where this phrase shows up and it will also show us something of the importance of this phrase and the uniqueness of this phrase among all of the the, the words describing our Lord Jesus that we often remember in this Christmas season. You may wish to turn uh, to Isaiah chapter 22, and I'll be reading uh, verses 15 through 25. It will not sound a great deal like a Christmas reading, but bear with me. Isaiah 22, verse 15. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come. Go to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, 
What have you to do here? And whom have you here that you have cut out, out of here a tomb for yourself? You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die, and there shall your glorious chariots, you shame of your master's house. I will thrust you uh, from your office. You will be pulled down from your station. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe. I will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him. The whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups to all the the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way and it will be, and it will cut down, be cut down and fall and the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. This is the Word of God. So much of what we sing uh, Christmas season uh, is clear to us. Uh, We sing of ransoming captives and of setting prisoners free. But this king of David needs a little, or key of David needs a little bit of explanation. Uh, In in verse 5 of the hymn, I want to read that to you. We'll be singing this uh, in a few moments. Verse 5 says, O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Jesus here is opening up the way for us to heaven, this key of David. But he is also closing off the way or the misery to the misery of hell. And so my call to you this evening, as we'll consider a little bit of this passage, my call to you this evening is that don't assume that you're in the kingdom, the household. Don't assume that you're in, but trust Jesus who alone has the key of heaven. Now, in this story, God had sent um, Isaiah to fire Shebna. He was the steward uh, in the king's house. Um, He was a gatekeeper. Uh, That is a chief of staff, similar to what we would call a chief of staff, who sort of uh, protects the president from unnecessary or or, uh, inappropriate uh, visitors. And he held the keys of the kingdom. He held that authority. But in this passage, God says that he was stripped of that privilege because he was presumptuous. That is, he assumed that he would be getting something that he really didn't deserve. He was 
presumptuous. He dug out a tomb for himself that I suppose was on some kind of royal ground. He dug a tomb. What is the presumption there? I'm going to be here all my life. And I deserve to be buried in this royal place. God found that presumptuous. And uh, and he, remember the words, he twirled him around. Imagine a shot putter uh, in, in, a, tra- in a, a, a field event, track and field event. God's got, God's got Eliakim, sort of, uh, sort of a Shevna there on his shoulder, and he's spinning around, and then he throws him into a field far, far away to his judgment. And God replaces Shebna with Eliakim, excuse me. A lofty description is given uh, of Eliakim here. I'll clothe him with your robe. I will bind your sash on him and he will, com- he will commit your authority uh, and to commit uh, your authority to his hand. He shall be the father of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Um, he is given the key of the house of David. Now imagine this key. It's not like a, a small car key that we might have today or a house key. It's not something like this. A key that would open up a city gate was a large wooden, uh, a wooden key, and it was so big that you actually had to carry it around on your shoulder. It was a very prominent sign showing the authority that you were given. He had the authority to open the kingdom, open the door and close the door, and people could only enter or they would be held out on his say-so. Now it sounds like he's the Messiah, doesn't it? It sounds like he's, he's something like Jesus, the key of David, but he's not Jesus. Remember, it goes on to say that he cannot save the city. Instead, there was this, this peg that was mentioned. A strange, a strange reference here. A peg that would have been driven into a wall and all those who were resting in Eliakim's Ministry or his work, it's like they were hanging on that peg. Individuals, and they're pictured by all the, all the articles and the implements of the kitchen. They're, they're shown there hanging on to that, uh, to that peg. And then God in his judgment shears off the peg and everything that was hanging on that, resting in some measure upon Eliakim himself. Resting perhaps in some measure upon your own ability to satisfy God and to please Him and to gain entrance into the kingdom. All of that clattered to the floor. And so we want to ask the simple question tonight. Are you resting on some kind of peg that will be sheared off in judgment? Or are you resting upon the cross of Jesus who holds the key to the kingdom who has taken your, uh, God's judgment for you. In order to look at this, I want, I want to consider tonight just three ways in which we may be presumptuous. We may be like Shebna in some ways. Th- three ways come to my mind immediately. One is that we may believe in God, but not love Him. Do you hear the distinction? We may believe in God, but not love Him. 
we might say, sure, God exists. We didn't get here by chance. The universe is too complex and too beautiful, too large and too ordered to have simply appeared. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, so I will believe in God. We know about God, something about him, don't we? We know about Christmas. Most people in our country and in the world do. And the cross is in there somewhere as well. We know something of God. When we're scared, we might even pray to him. And when we look at the end of our lives, we realize that that's a little bit scary to think that we'll have to be held accountable for the things that we've done. And so we have some knowledge of God. We even believe that he exists. But even the devils or the demons believe and shudder. This is what God's word said: says that the kingdom is only for people who love God. Not just believe in him, but love him. They don't just believe that he exists. No, we delight to be with him. Listen, when we consider that Jesus died for us while we were still enemies, that he reconciled himself to us because he wants peace. He wants peace with his people so badly that he came into the world and eventually died on the cross in the ultimate act of love. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might, the purpose, that we might receive the full rights of sons. But he made the first move. Of course I love him. I'm amazed by that. So my first question to you this evening, dear friends, is do you love God? And do you want to give him your all? Is he that worthwhile? Do you value him above all else? We can be presumptuous, can't we? We can settle for knowing that God exists and yet not love him. The second thing is, we can hear God and not obey him. Perhaps you've been around the church long enough to uh, know the lingo, you know, the churchy things to say. When you leave a church service, you say, uh, good sermon, preacher. That's one thing you can say. You're listening kind of to the word there. Um, and, And yet we can hear, the Bible tells us it is a very dangerous and seductive problem. We can hear with our ears, but our hearts not be engaged. And not, if you will, hear with our hearts and our commitments to obey. In fact, James puts it this way. Uh, if you see a Christian in need and you go up to him and say, you go, go up to her and say, um, go in peace, be warm and be filled. You may be hearing God's word, but you're not hearing at all. The words don't sink in. We've all had times in our homes, and children, you've sometimes talked to your parents this way, when they have told you to do something, and you have pretended that you don't hear. You just go on doing what you're doing. You don't hear your parents, right? Or you just say, no, and go back to what you're doing. 
We have a problem with hearing and not obeying. And God says that is a presumption. Faith that is real, faith that saves you, is faith that works. Um, There was a TV show a long time ago, and I'm showing my age to even know it. Um, And the show was called, boy, this would never fly today, Father Knows Best. Do you remember that? (laughs) That would raise all kinds of flags for all kinds of segments in our population, wouldn't it? But, but, uh, But truly, our Father in Heaven does know what is best. And if we are truly Christians, we trust Him enough to obey Him. And we come to love, listen to this, we come to love the beauty of holiness, the beauty of God's commands, the beauty of faithfulness, the beauty of serving one another and not demanding to be served. Christians do countercultural things just because they love Jesus. Your Sabbath is His. Your tithe is His. Your tongue is His. Your mind is His. Your imagination is His. Your hands belong to Him. So a true believer will not just hear what God has to say, but he will purpose to obey him. The last thing I want to mention, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about children of all ages here. Children of all ages may have been born here, and you think that that's enough. I don't mean in this building. But I mean in the church community, in a family that may belong to this church or another church. You're born here and you think that that somehow is enough. That being an insider counts for something. You've been baptized, perhaps. Uh, You can recite uh, many of the Bible stories. So you think that um, that being born here is somehow enough. And we have this tendency, don't we, we religious people, to settle for... Uh, a, 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 a vaccine of Jesus. Just get a little bit of a dosage that inoculates to get inoculates you from getting the whole package. A little bit of Jesus, and you think you've got the real thing. That was my story. Um, I joined uh, the church that I grew up in at twelve because that's what you did. And I started taking the Lord's Supper because that's what you did. But I was living foolishly. In a sense, lying to my parents by not being honest about what was going on. Living one way out there in the world and then coming to church and faking it. Can you imagine someone actually doing that? Maybe I'm not even the only one here that has done that. But I'm talking about myself right now. Born there and thinking that somehow uh, that was enough. 
But what I couldn't escape is something that shows up in Revelation chapter 1, and that is that Jesus has the key, not in that passage to the city of David, Jesus has the key of life and of death, and that he alone can open the door to eternal life or leave the door open to eternal punishment in the misery of hell. That's what I couldn't escape. And that's what the Lord used to bring me back. Jesus um, is the key um, to the kingdom of heaven. The one in whom you believe and trust and obey uh, in order to eventually being ushered into heaven itself. Jesus is the key. But elsewhere in Scripture, we also read that Jesus is the door. Think about that for a moment. Jesus also is the door, the one through whom you come to a life of intimacy with God, beginning now. Because he is the one who is also called in the Scripture, Emmanuel, God with us. We have peace with God through the Spirit that he has given to us. So this, this evening, my key question to you is this. Are you resting in some kind of a peg that will be sheared off at the day of judgment? Resting on your own accomplishments, your own level of obedience to the Lord, the fact that you simply hang around church and know a lot of churchy things. These are all pegs that you can build your life on and they will be sheared off at the judgment of God. But those who are not sheared off are the ones who are putting their trust in Jesus, who is the key, who died on the cross for sinners like you and me. And that enables us to be able to sing, to glorify God. Let's do that uh, using these words from Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Thanks,